This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Hey, this is Jenny Terror with the Daily Caller News Foundation. I'm out here in rural Maine with the Maine Wire today. Um, and what we're seeing is an entire uh, takeover of Chinese and foreign illegal marijuana grows in the area. This is a rural area. It's, you know, near a daycare. This is the, the grow operation. You can smell it right here, reeks of marijuana. It reeks. Um, all of the windows are boarded up. There's a car that is there. Uh, we've talked to people in the area that say the cars are from New York and Massachusetts not from the area but are always here and that there are deliveries that go in and out um, and that's really what happens there but again it just reeks of marijuana and then not only that but you have the schools and you have a daycare right here where you can tell that this is a place where young children are uh, cared for it's very disturbing what we're seeing Welcome to War Room Battleground. It's Natalie Winters hosting, filling in for Stephen K. Bannon on Wednesday, November 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2023. I guess it is Thanksgiving Eve. I really think Thanksgiving is probably the OG target of left-wing cancel culture, not just because it represents everything. They hate America, American values, but frankly, it represents, in my opinion, the nuclear family and coming together and celebrating how lucky we are to have one another and lucky we are to live in a country that has the wonderful, amazing values that we have promised to us in our constitution and our God-given rights. We'll have Jeff Clark joining us later in the show to talk all things that, all things how we're going to combat the administrative state, which really is an actual existential threat to everything that we love about this country later in the show. But in the meantime, we have the wonderful investigative reporter from The Daily Caller, Jenny Tear, who you just saw in that clip. Uh, that's sort of the video component to her new exclusive story. Illegal Chinese pot grows are taking over rural blue states and law enforcement isn't stopping them. Now, there's a lot of avenues that I want to pursue and ask Jenny about with my follow-up questions with regard to the story. But Jenny, why don't you just get the audience familiar with yet another one of your amazing, I guess not so amazing for the United States, but amazing works of investigative journalism as to what's going on in Maine, which if I'm not mistaken, is pretty far uh, from our southern border uh, and what they're doing with illegal marijuana operations. Absolutely. So we first got on this story over the summer when we obtained a memo from the Department of Homeland Security that showed that there were 270 suspected Chinese illegal marijuana grows taking over the state of Maine. And from there in our investigative work, we had found some of these addresses and we worked with the Maine Wire, of course, uh, to go up there and actually see what was happening. And what is the situation is that, you know, these are operating in plain sight. Uh, the neighbors all know about it. As you saw, there was a daycare next to one of these suspected grow operations. Um, they're taking up many things uh, from rural Maine. Uh, it's not a victimless crime. I know people hear 
marijuana and they think, well, it's legal in Maine and things like that. But these are not licensed growers. They're not doing it in a very regulated way at all or in a safe way. And there's several things that make this unsafe for Americans, for Mainers, uh, and for just the country in general. But the, the situation is that they are taking up rural power. They are putting enhanced power supplies on homes that are not built for it, causing rural fires. Uh, they often employ human trafficking tactics uh, to maintain the grows. Um, so that has a nexus to the border. It's creating a billion, multi-billion dollar industry with funds that often go back to China, which was what the DHS memo had outlined. Um, and it is also, you know, exposing the community there uh, to bad actors and, of course, to unregulated amounts of chemicals and, and other, you know, issues uh, affecting the community on the front lines, which has reported these grows to law enforcement. And what we found is just no one is busting the majority of them. And it seems like you, you know, you were in Maine, you talked to the people who live in these communities. I'm curious what their sort of reactions are, but specifically on the lax law enforcement, is this just sort of a continuation of, again, I guess you could call it lax enforcement of policies at the southern border that have led to effectively a, a porous southern border? Have those two policies together allowed for this problem to really be exacerbated? Because I don't recall hearing about this during President Trump. There's certainly this combination of those two factors that creates the perfect storm for this to happen. And it's happened across the country. You know, there are different foreign criminal syndicates that have operated illegal marijuana grows in states like Colorado and states like Oklahoma and California, both Northern California and Southern California. And uh, some of these grows actually in the state of Maine have a nexus to Washington. Um, Washington State. So we know that this is, um, you know, something that is a criminal enterprise, essentially, uh, what we've seen. And of course, there's a nexus to this border issue happening here when you have people who are maybe here illegally that are being trafficked for these grow operations to maintain them, which is what we've seen across the country. Um, and of course, just the continued flow actually at the northern border, because Maine is a northern border state. And that has been a story that has been kind of underreported, but the northern border has also seen an increase in illegal immigration and has seen, you know, a flow of marijuana as well as other drugs coming across. I'm just curious too, in the story you talked about how it seems like a lot of the money laundering aspect or some of the financial transactions sort of bolstering this industry have ties to the Mexican drug cartels too. I'm sure President Trump would call them two bad hombres if you got the Chinese Communist Party and the Mexican cartels collaborating to create, like you said, poor quality drugs, who knows what they're laced with or what they're being grown with. But can you expand a little bit on how the Mexican cartels are involved in this or potentially involved in this? Absolutely. So we've seen this with the fentanyl crisis is that the Chinese are often part of the money laundering scheme. Uh, they have been caught, you know, flying back and forth to Mexico, uh, you know, back and forth LAX to Mexico and things like that. You've seen, you know, some indictments throughout the year of this. Um, but of course we know this is a continued issue and all of these are kind of interconnected issues. I think that law enforcement going back to that is, is taking its eye off the ball. Uh, they're looking at the fentanyl crisis. 
Um, they're trying to combat that when this has a way bigger scope um, than what rural police departments can handle. And they really don't know how to handle this issue, especially when marijuana is legal in the state of Maine. It creates a lot of confusion with the law and what these uh, law enforcement officials can really do. Um, and it's really interesting to hear comments from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Maine and from uh, the, you know, the drug enforcement uh, part of the state police there that they really, they say they go after things that are reported that, you know, they won't let illegal operations uh, consume the state, but that's just not the reality we've seen. I mean, there are dozens that we visited and it's very obvious to see um, from the outside. You can smell it. You can uh, see that the windows are all blacked out. We spoke to some of the uh, alleged grow operators uh, that did not speak English. They only spoke Mandarin. They had to put someone in New York on the phone often. Um, and one of them did admit to us on camera that it was a grow operation. Um, and, you know, it's just happening all across rural Maine, all across the second congressional district, which is becoming a more com competitive race and may flip red. That's something that people are, should watch for in the upcoming election. I'm also curious because we focus a lot on this show on the Chinese Communist Party, how, you know, not only are, are they involved in unconventional forms of warfare, unrestricted warfare, right? It's not just kinetic warfare. We think that sort of the massive incursion, I would say, that they've made into American farmland, right? Buying up the ability where we, we grow crops, uh, really threatening our food supply security is, of course, also threatening our national security. So I'm just curious if you've seen any parallels between your reporting on this story and sort of the Chinese Communist Party's, I would say, sort of semi-newfound interest in buying up plots and really massive plots at that of American farmland, especially near military bases. Exactly. That's one of the pieces of legislation that has been discussed in the Maine State Legislature, which is to kind of model what Texas and Arkansas have done to combat this issue, to not make it about marijuana, to have a piece of legislation that specifically combats the countries of concern from you know individuals from those countries that the State Department has designated from buying up land in the state of Maine. So it is something that has been brought up to combat this issue, definitely. And uh, you know, it's just right now, I don't think that they have gone so deep into these investigations or maybe not had the resources to. Um, you know, it's it's something that I'm still questioning because you know, we were talking back in August about this July memo, uh, and these grows seem to be still active within the state of Maine. Just reading some of the headlines from your most recent stories, near record number of illegal immigrants are crossing the northern border. Border Patrol nabs more illegal aliens on terror watch list in October than in three years under Trump. I could probably use the rest of this program just reading the headlines of just truly heartbreaking stories that you've written. I'm just curious before we let you go, some of these staggering figures, you know, as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday, obviously Congress is in recess and, you know, I, I think they've sort of relaunched or reinitiated the effort to impeach not just Joe Biden, but hopefully Mayorkas, too, from your perspective as someone who really has very closely covered this issue. 
Where do you think we stand on the impeachment front? In other words, from the data that you've seen, even using this main incident as sort of, you know, an isolated incident, which you can extrapolate out across the whole country, as you well know, every town is a border town. Do you think we're fundamentally dealing with, you know, incompetence from our elected officials, at least from the Biden regime? Or do you think in your opinion, that there may be something more nefarious going on. In other words, they're intentionally sort of opening up the borders for these, whether it's the illicit industries, the massive influx of cheap labor at the behest of corporate donors. You know, what do you think is the driving force behind these policies that can't really be described as rooted in reality or substantive policy discourse? Right. I think that it's the people in these uh, cities and states that I've spoken to through my reporting on the northern border, the southern border, there's a sense of frustration with the federal government over this. Absolutely. Um, they believe that more should be done. And it you know, seems like we do hear new policies coming out of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, but it's not really cracking down on these root issues. Um, you know, for example, they had announced that they would start flights, uh, deportation flights to Venezuela again. And that, um, you know, I've heard from sources within the, uh, the agency, within ICE, that, you know, it, it's not the criminals that are being deported. Like, they're just putting families on there. It's just, you know, kind of this, this show for everyone. And we continue to hear that, you know, what you see them posting on social media or in press releases isn't necessarily the reality or isn't necessarily keeping Americans safe. And I think it goes back to, again, this policy of interior immigration enforcement, which is being limited by the Biden administration. From the start, uh, in office, Secretary Mayorkas put out a memo saying that the sole reason for deportation should not just be someone being here illegally. They have to be considered essentially a serious criminal. And so they limited what ICE could do, what ICE could do as far as arrests and deportations. And so we're seeing the results of some of those policies right now. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us as we head into Thanksgiving. I'm sure you're busy, but if people want to follow you in the meantime before you're back on with us, where can they go to do that and read all your work? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Jenny S. Terre. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Of course, likewise, thank you for joining us. What she's talking about, I really think can only be described as America last policies. And if you want to support companies that don't support America last industries, policies, companies, you name it, you got to go to Warpath Coffee. That's, of course, warpathcoffee.com, promo code WARROOM if you want to get some of the best tasting coffee you've ever had. But even if you don't care about that, it's nice to support companies that support you. And come 2024, come the election, a company that when Trump wins, and even if we have a 2020 repeat where we need to question the integrity of the election results, they're not going to bail on you and call you domestic terrorists and cancel your bank accounts and not take your money. You guys know the whole nine yards. But... In the meantime, we've got a Warpath coffee. I'm just tired from thinking about that whole 2020 exercise. I'm going to need a cup of coffee myself, warpathcoffee.com, promo code WARROOM. Now, someone else who probably could use a couple cups of coffee and much-needed caffeine burst is, of course, a good friend of the show, Jeff Clark. Now, Jeff, before I bring you on, I think we have a clip that I want to roll. So if the studio wants to play the MSNBC segment, trigger warning, it's MSNBC, we can play that. 
Georgia co-conspirator who Trump once tried to install as attorney general to promote lies about election fraud. He's in contention for a senior role at justice. Trump might have to pardon him to make that job offer, depending on what happens in Clark's trial next November. Might as well throw in Sidney Powell while we're at it. You guys have been watching MSNBC lately, or at least the clips that Steve likes to play in the morning show. You guys probably know that their pants have been on fire over what the Trump movement, what the MAGA movement, what the populist right wants to do to the federal government when, not if, but when we win in 2024. Mike Davis has gotten, I think, most of the love as of late with everything that he wants to do with the Department of Justice. But apparently they're interested in Jeff Clark, too, which tells you that he is probably the man of moral and ethical highest quality standards ever, at least from the, the MAGA rights perspective. And he's definitely over the target, despite all the lawfare assaults against him, or maybe I should say in spite of, or rather because of all of the lawfare that they're leveling against him. But Jeff Clark joins us now. Now, Jeff, I'd love your thoughts. It seems like it's sort of a new talking point. Now, it's always been around, but it's sort of, it's, it's heightened, I think, in intensity uh, in the left-wing media right now. They're sort of freaking out about what we want to do from a transition perspective. I'd be curious, from your perspective, do you think it's because the Trump movement is sort of a, at a position where I think historically most Republican presidential candidates haven't really been in. In other words, we have such a clear view, I think, of what we want dismantling the administrative state to look like, which I don't think empirically any other candidates have, have really had to the degree that the Trump movement does. I'm curious why you think they're so just, I was going to say depressed, but they seem enraged about what we want to do to the federal government. Well, Natalie, thanks for having me. Look, you know, it's this whole thing that they're having the meltdown, like heads exploding, uh, you know, uh, pants on fire running around like chickens with their heads cut off about this. It's really an example of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? So after the 2016 uh, election and then the transition into 2017, uh, they love to put out all these stories gloating that uh, the transition plans were not as advanced as they should have been, right? So, uh, you know, going back to, to Trump's first term, you know, they're saying to themselves, like, ha you know, you weren't ready. So now, in response to that, in part, and I'm not admitting that that criticism is actually correct, I think it's, you know, well overdrawn, but it just shows how they create these narratives and then they build them up. Um, the uh, uh, now for you know the 2024 situation, they're like, oh my gosh, it looks like various organizations and various individuals are actually working on suggestions for things that the Trump administration should do. And of course, uh, the campaign has uh, that. In, and President Trump, whenever he goes on one of uh, his uh, you know rally tours, uh, he gives specifics about things he's going to do. And so I think that's why they're in meltdown because actually they're, they're probably wishing they could go back to, you know, the 2017 era where they thought the better criticism was that you guys weren't prepared. So now they're seeing preparation and that's making them big, big scared. So I think that's the, that's the main uh, thing, but it also shows their, the media's hypocrisy, right? What, whatever narrative they can build, they'll build some negative narrative. They won't use an accurate narrative. And, and they're actually, interestingly enough, Natalie, you know, uh, before you contacted me to be on the show, 
I had lunch with a prominent uh, figure in the Reagan administration, and he told me that he wrote a particular chapter in the Heritage Foundation's Mandate for Leadership, you get this, 1980, right? And there was no hair on fire about that. I'm sure there were some Washington Post articles with raised eyebrows about, you know, what do these guys think they're doing for the Hollywood actor, uh, you know, to, to put uh, suggested policies in front of them, et cetera. But, you know, there, there was no major meltdown of like, oh, my gosh, the country's going to end if a transition is, uh, you know, moves away from the leftist failed policies of President Carter. So we're just we're living in a new age where everything is being turned into, you know, a chicken little, the, the, uh, the sky is falling kind of scenario. And I think people need to, you know, uh, get real and get calm and just look at the policy proposals and see what they think. They're a lot closer, I think, to the ideals of the American people than the Biden administration, that's for sure. Certainly, especially when you look at uh, what some of the spokespeople for the Biden regime look like, whether it's the uh, transgender cross-dresser at nuclear energy, although I think he's been arrested and taken away, or the uh, other transgender at the Department of Interior. I don't think that quite reflects American values. That might be a hot take, but I firmly stand by it. But you're so right. I mean, they've demeaned us and our movement as, you know, total grundoons and rubes for years, and then they finally realized Actually, we're not. We're actually not just pseudo-intellectuals, but intellectuals with a plan to dismantle the administrative state that I think these people have been propping up, right? They are a product of that administrative state for years. So I'm curious to really drill down. I guess maybe they'll play this segment. We can have them uh, have their pants on fire just a little bit more. In, in your opinion, those early days of the Trump administration, whether it's you know revoking specific Biden EOs, uh, implementing his own agenda, what do you think those early days, which of course the lead up to those early days, right, the early days of January and before, are really the most important times when it comes to the transition. But what do you think some of those primary and fundamental first priorities are going to be? Look, I, I think, uh, you know, rather than talking about like super specifics, uh, let me use one area that I think is absolutely going to happen uh, as close to day one as possible, which is a return to President Trump's uh, energy dominance agenda. And that was a major part of his first term. He was highly successful, right? He withdrew us from the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, you know, I defended uh, litigation about that. I also went out after uh, Gavin Newsom and California have a plan to engage in carbon credit trading with uh, Quebec, which is ridiculous and is, you know, kind of California running its own foreign policy. Uh, they, uh, you know, the energy dominance agenda had a lot of different components. The Interior Department was a big part of it in terms of getting drilling going again, drill, baby drill, et cetera, you know, getting uh, projects on the Outer Continental Shelf re-energized in the Gulf of Mexico, but also trying to uh, unlock some of the resources that President Obama had locked uh, up by executive order or proclamation. And, uh, you know, just across the board, right, we faced a massive slew of litigation. And it really is, I think the American people have a better understanding now of lawfare. And I'm glad that people are waking up to that, right? I was in the Bush Justice Department as well. And, you know, I thought that the litigation we faced from all of the leftist pressure groups, they're trying to shut down American infrastructure, American energy any kind of exploitation of resources like chopping down trees, uh, you know, saving jobs in rural communities and the like. 
uh, was bad, but you know it was much worse in the Trump administration. And I suspect that if there's a Trump term too, we're going to see another onslaught of lawfare. Right? It's almost like they have one major environmental group with uh, millions of dollars of funding and as many lawyers as they need to throw at any uh, agenda item. But even so, even though they did that in uh, the first Trump administration, they were not successful in stopping everything. We obviously know from gasoline prices, we know uh, from the fact that you know we became uh, energy self-sufficient for the first time, that uh, these policies work. And I think that that's going to be something that really helps rejuvenate the economy and will help get people back to work. So it has ripple effects out even from just the energy sector in itself. And that's because energy is the lifeblood of the national economy, right? There's no way you can run a modern industrial economy or even a modern information economy, right? You need electricity generation for these vast server farms, for instance, and somebody's got to generate it. And, you know, it's a lot better to generate it from traditional petrofuels than it is uh, from all these renewables that are totally unreliable, Natalie. So I think that's one thing we're really going to see kicked off again in a, in a second Trump term uh, if, you know, uh, God willing, we get one. God willing, indeed. I just get excited thinking about a second Trump term. And you're so right, I can already see the, the headlines in the mainstream media as part of the lawfare apparatus when Trump reinstates the Keystone Pipeline with all the you know, on-call environmental groups and activists pulling all their shenanigans, you know, revolving door between the Biden regime and probably the same paid actors that they'll be using for these protests. Jeff, if you can hang with us through the break, I have a couple more questions that I want to ask you. We also got Colonel John Mills joining us after to walk through what's going on up in New York, as well as everything happening geopolitically. But in the meantime, War Room Posse if you want to hang out with myself, I don't know why you would want to do that, but if you want to, more importantly, hang out with Steve, uh, I think Grace will be there, Mo will be there, the whole War Room crew will be doing the show live. Steve, of course, is a confirmed speaker as well as everyone. You got Matt Gates, uh, you got Dennis Prager, basically all of the America First contingent of Congress. They're all going to be speaking there. Like I said, Warren will be doing our live shows. You can go to amfest.com. Uh, I think we'll have a, a promo code coming in the next few days. But in the meantime, if you want to get more details on the location, where to go, I believe it's in mid-December. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. I was there last year. It's a wonderful event. There's a lot of young people there, but there's a lot of people of all ages there. And even if you feel like, oh no, it's, it's an event for young people. It's very inspiring, even if you don't consider yourself in the young demographic to see so many interested America, freedom loving young patriots, which I hope at your Thanksgiving table, there are some of those too. And they aren't all Hamas loving, terrorist encouraging, far left socialist lunatics, but I won't hold my breath. On that front, we'll be back after the break with Jeff Clark and Colonel Mills. I know this is hard to believe, but we're up against another government shutdown later this month. And our wise leaders deal with it how they always do, with more spending. While lawmakers are high-fiving, your savings account continues to lose value because more spending weakens the dollar. Now end the cycle. Diversify into gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. And listen, when you open a gold IRA for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, 
Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Let me repeat that. For every 10000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text Bannon to 989898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a gold IRA for no money out of pocket. And you still get the free gold bar. Don't let your savings become a victim of the further devaluation of the dollar. Remember, the BRICS countries are focused 100% on de-dollarization. Text Bannon to 989898. Receive a free gold information kit and claim your eligibility before Black Friday to receive free gold bars on your qualified purchase. Do it today. Action, action, action. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to War Room Battleground. It's still unfortunately not Stephen K. Bannon. It's Natalie G. Winters filling in. I am out of the studio. I am on the West Coast, but nonetheless, we still got a lot of news that probably doesn't quite align with uh, Los Angeles values uh, to share and send your way. We still got Jeff Clark with us. We got Colonel Mills joining us after him but jeff before we release you to your thanksgiving festivities or i guess thanksgiving eve festivities i understand that you had some parting messages or just analysis of the thanksgiving holiday why it's so important important and what we really should be thankful for tomorrow well let me first just make one comment on your last topic about the keystone pipeline so you know i was directly in charge of uh, defending the litigation against that. And, you know, we have to fight uh, because of the uniparty and inside outside game on that, right? So one of the big barriers to actually getting that done initially was the cross border portion of the of the pipeline from Canada into the US. And that got shut down under an executive order that the Bushies put in place. And it, you know, gave the power to sort of rule on those permits to the State Department which then just created vast red tape, right? And, and you know, just think about it abstractly. Who do you want to assign within the federal bureaucracy to get projects done, uh, get infrastructure done, get energy moving? The State Department? I mean, give me a break. In any event, <laughs> uh, we uh, scrapped that. Uh, President Trump wrote a new executive order, and he approved the cross-border portion of the pipeline. So then the environmentalists started looking for other ways to pull things down. But to, to answer your question about uh, Thanksgiving, you know, I do have a message there, right, especially as it ties to transition, which is I think you can assume that uh, anyone at any group anywhere uh, or any individual thinker who's working on making suggestions to uh, the uh, president's uh, campaign team, et cetera, or uh, when the transition gets stood up uh, to, uh, you know, give particular policy ideas. Those policy ideas uh, in a future Republican administration are going to be guided by constitutional values. And I think that if you look at the Biden uh, plans, they're not guided by that, right? I just looked at the first seven executive orders, all signed the first day of the Biden administration, January 20th, 2021, right? It's racial equity dividing the country by race. It was restoring non-citizens to the census as if that you know, is, is, a, is a good policy. Uh, you know, COVID uh, uh, lockdown related policies, uh, sex division because of you know, uh, gender uh, kinds of issues in the fourth executive order. 
an ethics order, which, you know, uh, for the Biden family knee deep in, in China connections, you know, you really have to scratch your head about that one and from the uh, uh, hypocrisy standpoint. Then it was uh, a climate science restoration, another, you know, fake issue, uh, you know, divorced really from the Constitution and has all kinds of stresses it puts on the Constitution and goes out of the bounds of the Constitution. And then, you know, uh, mask wearing. Those are the first seven. They were all done the first day. <laughs> And you can't tell me that, you know, these were just like whipped up, uh, you know, uh, five hours a piece and then put out, you know, by a team of people and then signed by the president. They were brought in from the outside. Did you see any kind of meltdown on MSNBC about that? No, because they like the agenda. And so, look, you know, the main thing for Thanksgiving, as you said at the top of the show, Natalie, is to focus on your family, that the nuclear family and the extended family, grandparents, cousins, et cetera, that's what this time is about, and it seems like that's what the left wants to destroy and break up. That's why they don't like this holiday. It's also, I think, why they don't like Christmas. Uh, and so, you know, be thankful for all of that, but I'm urging you, especially as we're about to go into a presidential election year, to be thankful for one more thing, which is that we have uh, a written constitution, because that lets us always go back, all the citizens can go back and look at it, and then they can test what would words say and what do we have now from the Biden administration? And I think if you look at it from that perspective and you ask yourself questions about that, especially if you're kind of a middle of the rotor watching the show, I think you'll come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, that the, this administration needs to be uh, sent packing and a uh, new administration needs to come in that will adhere to those values. So, uh, you know, just be thankful for that. Thank God that uh, he allowed us to have the framers we had you know, uh, men of true genius. Indeed. Jeff Clark, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And if in the meantime, before you're back on the show, if people want to follow you and stay up to date with all of your wonderful MSNBC hatred fueling analysis, where can they go to do so? <laughs> uh, so uh, the Center for Renewing America is at americarenewing.com. We also have, uh, you know, a group Citizens Renewing at the uh, different website, citizensrenewing.com. I'm Jeff Clark US on Getter and Twitter and Real Jeff Clark on Truth Social. Thank you so much. Thanks, Natalie. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. And happy Thanksgiving to you, Warren Posse. We got Colonel Mills, who always brings the best charts, the best graphics, though I don't think we have any of those today. Before I bring him on, we got a short clip that I want to play. I'm sure you guys are aware of what's going on. In New York, I want his analysis of uh, what was, at one point, it seems like a potential terrorist attack. It seems like the reporting may have evolved by now, but let's get you some basic data points on the situation, and then we'll get some intel analysis from Colonel Mills after it. Motivation. And there's a lot of lot of unanswered questions, but at this time we just need to dial down the temperature right now, and that's what I plan to do as governor. Just let everybody know, all is well. We're investigating. More information could arise, but based on the preliminary investigation, no sign of terrorist involvement in the horrific explosion that occurred here in Western New York. Any questions? Can you explain what you're basing that determination on that there was no terrorist activity here? That's based on my briefings with uh, experienced law enforcement, with the FBI, Homeland Security, and the Customs and Border Protection. Uh, they are, uh, they brought experts. They're still analyzing this, but there's been no indication based on any online threats 
anyone taking credit for anything, all the usual areas you look to identify whether or not there's a group involved at this time. At this time, you hear me say this at this time a dozen times because it is still unfolding. But I didn't want to leave the public un with a lot more anxiety than they need to have at this time. So there's just, I just want to be perfectly clear, there is no evidence to show at this time that this was a terrorist activity. There is no evidence at this time that this was a terrorist activity. And that's what I want to make very clear to the public, just to calm everybody down. It's really important because uh, based on what's happening in other parts of the world, everybody is on edge. And this is an international border. And we've always felt the vulnerability there. But this was a, a you know, I won't call it an accident. It's not been determined to be an accident. Uh, you don't know whether the, intent, the driver was intentional in how they drove. We do not know that. All I know is there was a horrific accident, well, I won't call it an accident, horrific incident, a crash, an explosion, loss of life, but at this time, no known terrorist connection. Governor, we saw agents. That is identifying who the occupants of the vehicle were, any um, potential motive that they may have in terms of in groups they may belong to. Uh, they'll look at maybe be able to get a hold of their uh, computers, see if there was any chat or anything like that that would lead one to believe this is a coordinated event or they had some ideology that would uh, that would lead them to do this. We know that in this current heightened state of uh, turmoil and political awareness, Certainly an evolving situation, but I have to say when you have a presidential regime that has only emboldened some of our most depraved and darkest enemies abroad, left our borders wide open for said enemies to essentially invade us, I would say I understand where the American people are coming from when they think that what they saw unfold up in New York could have potentially been an intentional terrorist attack. Like I said, we still don't know the exact specifics about everything that went down. But luckily we have Colonel Mills, the one and only, like I said, next time you come on, you can have the charts because I love your charts. Uh, but Colonel Mills, you obviously track all of this. I would love your thoughts on the kind of unfolding situation, what you know, what you think we should be looking for. Well, yeah, thank you, Natalie. And I'm honored to be on the show with you again. And uh, I apologize that I let you down, didn't have the maps. I do, uh, Logan does have some 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 graphics to show. Uh, here's oh, here's a great graphic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a Daily Mail. Uh, so the UK paper often has better US reporting than the US uh, outlets. But that that flame shows where the uh, 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 where the explosion took place. Now, let's just back up a little bit here. It is really early uh, to figure out what's going on. And, you know, it said first reports are often wrong. Um, I think there's still it's still a little early. But what I don't like is this uh, this immediate gut reaction, no known terrorist connection. This sounded like during the Bush years where every any time there was a terrorist attack, immediately there was this cacophony of no known terrorist connection. Well, we don't even know. How could we even say it one way or another? And so here you have the governor and others saying no known terrorist connection. Well, we don't know. It's too early. So I, I think it's really premature. Also, I have read multiple reports. I still can't get it straight because there's many conflicting reports. Did it? Is it? Did it? Did the car come from the Canadian side or did it come from the American side? Uh, you know, Daily Mail says it came from the, the Canadian side. The Washington Post says it came from the American side. You know, just one. But I found I, I can't find a cons clear consensus on which which side. So it's still a little bit early. 
but it sure looks like this was not, uh, I mean, you saw the car flying through the air, you know, a, a big explosion. Uh, yeah, I, I, something is different. There you go. There you go. So I, I think this was not just an accident. But again, I think it's too pre, it's premature to say terrorist attack or no terrorist attack. We don't know. We don't know yet. And uh, so very concerning. I've been across that bridge several times. been a little little bit. Uh, but we need to we need the facts to settle down. Uh, so we know, was it coming from Canada or was it coming from America? And uh, we should just, uh, I just wish the officials would be a little more uh, hesitant to say terrorist or no terrorist attack. We don't know at this point in time. Uh, so this is still a very early developing situation, but uh, this this is not a normal event at any border crossing. Some of my my haters have told me that I am a bad driver, but I watched that video of that car flying, and that to me seems very intentional. When you see it flying like twenty feet in the air and going for however long it it, it was, it's certainly. A weird incident, but speaking of, of weird incidents, I think the infrastructure attacks, or I guess weird, we'll call them incidents, we won't use the term accident, that we've been seeing really across this country. I think this story really dovetails quite nicely with whether it's the food processing plants, the train derailments, right? All of these sort of curious developments that I don't think we really saw at these skyrocketing level, levels under President Trump. Just like myself, you're obviously well aware of, you know, the Chinese Communist Party's kind of unrestricted warfare tactics. I'm just curious more broadly from a meta level, you know, do you think that some of these attacks on critical infrastructure, do you think that they're just happening by accident or do you have any intel or do you have any sort of assessment that there may be something more nefarious at play? Well, okay. So, in, in I'm about to come out with an article on uh, uh, who's responsible for seaport uh, security, and then we got the Chinese spy cranes uh, giving a bird's eye view of everything that's going on. The lack of curiosity by DHS, and all these are just my my professional observations and opinions, and they don't represent anybody else or any any other organization. But it's just the lack of intellectual curiosity of doing a numeric uh, ana- geolocation analysis of what's going on with all these explosions is disturbing in itself. I mean, that seems like a great quantification effort where DHS CISO, which has had a huge spike in its budget, uh, it's also where it's ground zero of the spying that's going on in American citizens and watch the Colorado, or excuse me, the uh, Missouri-Louisiana case. But I, I think it's intuitively obvious. Something is going on here and we're not getting great quantitative and qualitative analysis of all these critical infrastructure attacks. Plants are blowing up, big deal. Who cares? Uh, I, I think let's start doing numerical analysis, geospatial analysis, and and you know connecting them and seeing where this is going on. I, I uh, We don't know what we don't know, and we certainly don't know what we're not paying attention to. So uh, I think that's of grave concern, and it's absolutely reasonable to uh, bring up these concerns. And uh, you know, uh, again, with port security here, uh, you know, uh, uh, your first uh, guest there, Jenny, uh, uh, you know, I wrote about this a couple of months ago, is you got high cash operations in these uh, legal pot farms, and you got an incongruity with federal law where you can't, that money, that all that high cash from these legal pot operations can't get into the banking system. 
And the, the Chinese paramilitaries are, are gravitating toward these high cash operations. It's a great opportunity to fund other activities, whether it be Antifa, whether it be whether it be uh, 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 suddenly we got all these uh, Palestinian protesters popping up and violent. Um, hey, high cash operations are fertile opportunity to pay all these other activities. Yeah, for the same regime that, you know, has left no stone unturned on anybody who was within 100 miles of the Capitol on January 6th, they seem to have no interest in, you know, going after train derailments and food food processing plants that are getting blown up. It's very selective priorities. And I think it goes to what you were saying. They don't care. They don't want to know, because frankly, I think it would kind of complicate the uh, the worldview that they espouse because in in my humble opinion, like I said, just estimating, but like I said, as someone who's pretty well versed like yourself in Chinese Communist Party unrestricted warfare, and when we have a porous southern border, it seems like there may be, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but you never know. Before I let you go, and we've got a few minutes left here, uh, we'll go global because thanks to the Biden regime, it seems like every country hates us uh, a lot more than they did under President Donald J. Trump, or at least they don't fear us as much as they did under President Trump. Uh, North Korea launched or tried to launch whatever they're doing over there, a ballistic missile. I'm just curious your thoughts and analysis on the geopolitical implications of that. Yeah, so uh, the reports are all over the map, the public reports on what exactly did happen and was it successful. there's a lot of references. This may have been uh, a spy satellite. Uh, this was their third attempt. I mean, this is just public information to, to try and put a spy satellite in orbit. Um, North Korea, so, so North Korea is, is, wants to be, uh, desperately to be a powerful capable uh, uh, nation with nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles. Um, I think what's also going on here is North Korea is becoming the... Uh, arsenal of the Axis, uh, whether it be Russia, whether it be Hamas. And so their weapons factories are really be, uh, be beginning to provide a lot of the mayhem in the world uh, that's you know, part of the Chinese uh, uh, plan, no limits arrangement with these and this Axis evil to topple America. So this is a very, it's unclear, but uh, uh, I think one of the things that's not talked about, and, and uh, Logan, I got some pictures there, some charts. I'm sorry, I'm not standing in front of them, Natalie. Here, they're just about. I to forgive come you. Up. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. South Korea has announced the development of an arsenal ship and and, and a fleet of arsenal ships. And this is not getting a whole lot of attention. This is actually a, a DARPA view of we we've been playing around with this. It's just a, sh- a very simple ship that carries a whole lot of missiles, and South Korea as a deterrence measure, here, here's what their ship looks like. It'll carry 80 ballistic missiles, and they'll have these at sea constantly as a ready counter battery to deter uh, uh, North Korea. But guess what? They could just as readily, with the new conservative government in South Korea that's working very closely with Japan, very closely with America, these are powerful ships. So, so South Koreans took our idea, which we never, this was our idea, we never acted upon it. It's a very, very reasonable idea. And so instead of having undersea ballistic missile submarines, they're going to have their own version uh, at sea constantly. That's a lot of firepower, a lot of ballistic missiles and good on South Korea. But I think this is really 
South Korea is getting nervous, but also um, China is getting nervous. That's a lot of firepower at the ready at all times. South Korea is moving. They, they, they feel that because of North Korean uh, saboteurs and raiders, and I, I did a tour in South Korea, and that was always a constant concern. And just days before I left, uh, a, South, a North Korean infiltration team was killed by South Korean police just, just down not too far away from my where my uh, wife and son were at in our off-base apartment. So they, they're concerned that their ground-based deterrent is vulnerable. So they're going to go to sea with it. And look, if we go back to the other other shot here, again, a magnificent uh, from Naval News. Look at that. Look at that. I mean, this is uh, they, they took our idea and they're running wow. with it. Good for them. So very concerned about what's going on. And this is not getting a whole lot of attention here. Colonel Mills, you always bring the receipts and the wonderful pictures and graphics. Next time you come on, you can see it in front of them. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And in the meantime, if people want to follow you and stay up to date with all of your analysis, where can they go to do that? And your book, where can they go to get that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's Colonel Rhett John, Colonel R-E-T John, Substack, Getter, and Truth. If you love, uh, I mean, I put all my uh, daily, sometimes twice a day updates, great place, all kinds of national security topics. Uh, you'll just be drowned in them. You'll see, say, please make it stop. Uh, so Colonel Rhett John, Substack, Getter, and Truth. The new book is out, uh, War Against the Deep State. And that's really the foundations of the mass surveillance system, which I, I helped put together in 2007 to 2014, which has really become the foundation for the unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government, the administrative state, the fusion of federal intelligence, law enforcement, and uh, big tech, and then the uh, nonprofits. So war against the deep state, uh, the plan to take plan to take all these down. Just go to waragainstthedeepstate.com. Thank you so much, Colonel Mills. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful Thank Thanksgiving. You. And Warren Posse, go to birchgold.com slash Bannon. The world may be on fire, but it doesn't mean your personal finances have to be. Give him a call. Philip Patrick, everyone at the team, they're happy to help. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. Natalie Winters here. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today. Check it out.